This is 1988 Tops, where every card has a story to tell. Your hosts are David McKellis and Matt Kuzma. Let's play ball. Welcome back to 1988 Tops. David, what's our card for this week? Our card this week is Bill Doran. Card 745. Bill Doran was a second baseman for the Houston Astros. Okay, Bill Doran. Good to have another Astros card. It's been a while. Before we get to Bill, uh, we have some follow-up from last week's episode with Sean Dunstan. We got a tweet from the Sean O'Meter. Sean O'Meter one on Twitter, run by David Sela, who was the creator of the Sean O'Meter in 1989. He said that he enjoyed the episode, said that we got the timeline right, and I asked him a couple questions. How many Sean O'Meters were there? Where are they? Anything we missed? David replied with a few tweets. He said that the original Sean O'Meter is in the Smithsonian. Sean O'Meter number two lasted the first half of 1990 and then went to the Baseball Hall of Fame. We're pretty sure it's still on display there. If it's not on display, then it's uh, in storage there. But it is at the Baseball Hall of Fame. Sean O'Meter number three is at the Chicago History Museum. Number four has the Sean O'Meter along with the Gwyn O'Meter on the back. Because in 1995, Sean, through much of the summer, was in the batting title race against Tony Gwynn. So he had the side-by-side. That was on display at Wrigley Field until just this past summer. And then in 2016, David created the Schwarbo-Meter for Kyle Schwarber showing his slugging percentage. That one was during the World Series, was shown on TV. And now, coming up in the 2022 season, David said that he's going to try to create the Schwindometer for Frank Schwindel. He said that one takes two printed-out spreadsheets to manage. That's a lot of meters to take stock of, so thank you, Sean O'Meter1 on Twitter, for your service to Cubs fans and all of baseball through the years with making those meters, keeping us all informed of the various Sean's, Schwab's, and Schwinn's out there. But David, now let's turn to Bill Doran. And why did we choose this card today? We have not talked about many Astros players in this set. I think we've only talked about Charlie Kerfeld and, and oh, what an Astro he was. I don't think we've had any Astros requested, aside from people really wanting us to talk about Nolan Ryan. But we're going to put that one off because that'll take at least three hours to talk about Nolan Ryan. <laughs> So I decided to pick one, and this was a guy who always intrigued me. When we get to the back of his card, we'll get into a little bit of why. He was pretty good, but is largely forgotten. And when I was digging into his stats on Baseball Reference, I was impressed. And I think that listeners will be as well. This episode probably won't be one of a one that makes folks cry or uncovers deeper truths about humanity, except maybe what made one of the best second basemen of the 80s and why we don't quite remember him the way we remember Lou Whitaker, Ryan Sandberg, and, and those guys. Well, it sounds like a great show to me. Let's flip to the front of the card at 745. And here we have, I think, a very good layout for the card. Bill is at the plate. He's just put the ball in play. He's getting ready to run to first. The lighting is a little off, so you can't see his face all that well. He's got one of the really good Astros uniforms through the years, I think, which is the white Astros uniform with the yellow, orange, and red stripes along the shoulders. 
and then kind of blue piping the rest of the uniform. It looks pretty good to me. It is unfortunate that we don't get a picture of the tequila sunrise jersey, but he has a little bit of that tequila sunrise on the sleeves. I remember as a kid thinking that these looked kind of generic aside from the sleeves with just the white and the dark blue lettering. But this is a really good look. Bill looks, he looks athletic in this picture. He looks like a strong guy. So that's a good picture, good stirrups. His arms look great. His arms are ripped right there. Yeah, don't expect that from a second baseman. No, yeah, you know, bulging biceps and forearms, so kind of a Popeye look on on Bill right here. Let's go to the back of the card. We have Bill Doran, second baseman, height six feet, weight 175, switch hitting, and right-handed thrower, drafted by the Astros in the sixth round of 1979. Born May 28th, 1958, Cincinnati, Ohio, with a home in Cincinnati, Ohio. I think that this is an error. According to oh. Baseball Reference, Bill Doran was born in 1898. Oh, that that is seems very far off. Yeah, he played three <laughs> games for Cleveland in 1922, going one for two, then never played in baseball again. Probably a different Bill Doran. I think that's a different Bill Doran. But can we talk about this other Bill Doran's picture? Yes. Yeah, pulling him up on the Jumbotron right here. Bill Doran, who was who was born in 1898. This is what you might call a vintage card, this this picture. Opening up in a new tab and scrolling in and really trying to zoom in, it says Colonials on the... The the picture is so faded. And it looks like someone has written his number on over it. They've written the number 13 onto this picture. His whole face is cleared off of there. It's, It's kind of frightening. It's almost like a... Is that Rorschach from the Watchmen series? Or it looks like maybe he looked good in one of Marty McFly's Polaroids, but then he pulls it out of his pocket and Bill Dorn has disappeared. Yeah, his kids. What have they done? Well, this is a a different Bill Doran, the one that we're talking about. We're also not talking about the former mayor of Hamilton, Ontario from 1888 to 1889. We're not talking about Jamie Dornan from the Fifty Shades of Grey movie series or (laughs) Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. We're also not talking about the Sand Snakes of Dorn. This is Bill Doran, born in the city of Cincinnati. See the Richard Dotson episode for some etymology on Cincinnati city names. And the Mike Socia episode for how to spell it. Yeah, and sing it. But Bill went to school and grew up in Mount Healthy, Ohio. And this is one of the oddest names that we've come across here. This is about 15 miles from Cincinnati. Mount Healthy was initially founded in 1817 as Mount Pleasant. Then in 1849, there was a cholera outbreak in Cincinnati. So people fled Cincinnati for Mount Pleasant to get away from the city And that town, Mount Pleasant, ended up faring much better than Cincinnati, probably due to not being as crowded and the distance from the Ohio River, which had allowed the disease to spread in Cincinnati. Yeah, it's also a pretty good marketing job during a cholera outbreak to change the name of your town to something that sounds healthy. Also had the added incentive that there was another town called Mount Pleasant. And so they were like, this is confusing. There's too many Mount Pleasant Ohio's. Let's change the name. So Mount Healthy it is. And yeah, odd name, but a good reason to celebrate keeping people alive. The city had a strong abolitionist presence and homes in the area were used as stops on the Underground Railroad. At Mount Healthy High, Bill Doran Sr. was a coach at Mount Healthy 
coaching baseball, basketball, and football. I don't think that he was actually the head coach when Bill Jr. was there. He was the coach in the 90s. And Bill Jr., however, was a great multi-sport athlete. He played football, basketball, baseball, and all of them well. He was all league in all three sports and all city in baseball and football, leading his teams to multiple conference titles. He was the quarterback for Mount Healthy. They ran an option offense, and he was a good scrambling quarterback and had good speed, as we'll see throughout his career. He wasn't drafted out of high school. Instead, went to Miami, uh, not the U. He went to the one in Oxford, Ohio, about 25 miles from Mount Healthy. And that university is one of the 10 oldest public universities in the United States. So among the folks that we talk about on the pod who are Miami of Ohio graduates, we have Walter Alston, the manager of the Dodgers prior to Tommy Lasorda. Charlie Liebrandt and Buddy Bell also went there. Famous alums include the guy who created Gumby, not Jim Gantner, Mojo Nixon, Brown's founder and head coach Paul Brown, President Benjamin Harrison, Wally Zerbiak, Ben Roethlisberger, and what seems like one out of every 10 kids from the Chicago suburbs went to Miami of Ohio. Yes, absolutely. Go Redhawks. Doran played as a freshman with future major leaguers Steve Fireovid, who does not have a card in this set, but I would be interested in digging into that last name, Charlie Liebrandt, and Mark Nehring. Mark Nehring didn't quite make it to the major leagues. His nephew, Tim Nehring, would go on to play eight seasons for the Red Sox. Bill did great in college. He hit 268 as a freshman and ended up progressing to hit over 300 as a sophomore. His junior year, he hits 407 with a 1.087 OPS and started attracting Major League attention. Junior year is his last year at Miami and also his coach, Bud Middaw's last. He went to Michigan where he would coach for nine years, coaching guys like Chris Sabo, Barry Larkin, and Jim Abbott. And that takes us to the This Way to the Clubhouse, which is that Bill signed as a sixth-round draft selection with the Astros June twenty-second, 1979 by scout Walt Matthews. Walt Matthews has an interesting career as well. He's credited with signing Pat Perry and Jack Lazorko, legends of the Astros organization. <laughs> he played baseball and football at the University of Arkansas, go Hogs. He played in the Cardinals minor league system and then in the Astros system starting in 1961. And he has a connection to an all-time great. While he was playing in Durham, a young player named Joe Morgan is sent to Durham. Joe Morgan's 19 years old. And when he shows up at Durham, he's subject to racial abuse from fans. He wanted to quit and leave and go back to Oakland. Matthews kind of put an arm around his shoulder and convinced him to stick around and helped Morgan combat the racial abuse that he was facing. Matthews ended up going on to 51 years with the Astros organization as a player, as a coach, and as a scout. He retired in 2012 and then passed away in 2014. When remembering Matthews, Morgan said he was seen as larger than life by his peers, as a mentor to many young scouts, and as a great friend. And Morgan called Matthews his Pee-wee Reese. He helped a 19-year-old black man from California adjust and get by in the 1960s South. And Walt Matthews had a, a great scouting career, signs Bill Doran, and Bill moves on to play in the minors. And that time in the minors was very productive. He played a season at each level. Like the stats on his card, he was pretty good. Nothing spectacular at rookie and A-ball, but enough to move along to the next station. When he got to double-A, he hit 281 with 18 steals, but 
also caught 11 times. Uh, a good eye, 74 walks, so has a good on-base percentage, being 100 points higher than his average. And he had five homers, seven triples, and 17 doubles, doing a little bit of everything, and ends up moving in 1982 to AAA Tucson, which is where we get to the fun fact on the back of the card that he led the Pacific Coast League second baseman with 123 double plays at Tucson in 1982. He was also outstanding on offense that season. He hit 302, 87 walks, 32 doubles, 7 triples, and 48 steals. He was caught 10 times, but not a bad percentage, and played well enough to earn a late-season call-up, playing a solid second base for 26 games at Houston, hitting 278. Yeah, he ends up playing well enough to earn that spot in the starting lineup going into 1983, which allowed the Astros to move Phil Garner to third base. And in 1983, Dorn was pretty good. Looking at the back of the card, he played in 154 games that season, hitting 271, eight homers, and 12 steals. Again, getting caught 12 times. David, this guy, he's just got the go sign no matter what. Seven triples, 86 walks. So... Really good eye at the plate. I guess you can walk out of Ohio. And (laughs) he showed that throughout his career, finishing multiple times in the top 10 in the National League in walks. Kind of unexpected for a second baseman. Yeah, I think maybe the pitchers are just intimidated by his forearms. And they just, (laughs) they don't give him anything over the plate. This first season, he had 11 intentional walks, which I wanted to dig into a little bit. He was often 7th or 8th in the lineup, so maybe they were trying to get around him to get to the pitcher. He was good enough that season that Topps named him to the All-Star rookie team, but unfortunately, from 1979 to 86, they did not have the little cup on the card. Oh, So Bill Doran's 1984 Topps card does not have a little statue on it, and that is a ripoff. He finished 5th in the National League Rookie of the Year voting. The winner that year was Daryl Strawberry, but I would like to make a case for Bill. Ooh, hot takes, hot takes. He had the highest wins above replacement of any rookie in Major League Baseball in 1983. Strawberry had eye-catching power numbers, but he only played in 122 games. Doran's numbers look kind of meh, but he played 30 more games. He gets a positional bump as a second baseman, plus he was valuable on defense. Among second basemen, he led the National League in putouts, was third in assists, and second in double plays. And a really solid start for a 25-year-old rookie. His offensive numbers throughout his career are going to look kind of blah because he's playing in the Astrodome. It's huge, not a lot of power, so he's more dependent on speed, triples, that kind of thing. I think you've made a good case for Bill Dorn winning Rookie of the Year in 1983. 1984, more of the same. 261 average, decent number of walks, 11 triples, and... Upping his steals to 21, still getting caught 12 times. I don't know. What is the, why is he getting caught so often? <laughs> I'm not sure what the deal was here, but I think there were four or five seasons in a row where he's caught in double digits, uh, leading the team in steals or being near the top of the team in steals while also in caught stealing. So they were less concerned about giving up an out back in the 80s. So 1985 is... Bill's age 27 season, and he really puts it all together. This is his best season. He hits 287, 14 home runs, 31 doubles, and 23 steals. His teammates voted him team MVP, and he earned National League MVP consideration, getting two votes. And so he comes in 21st in National League MVP voting. 
but he was 10th among National League position players with 5.4 wins above replacement. Among 1980s second basemen, this is the 10th best season in war, and yet he didn't make the all-star team. Of that top 10 1980s second baseman seasons, two of the others were Tom Herr and Ryan Sandberg, who also mm-hmm. happened to be playing in 1985. And this mm-hmm. happened to Doran a lot. You have Steve Sachs, Sandberg, Tom Herr, those guys getting a little bit flashier numbers. And he's overshadowed by Sandberg's power hitting, Tommy Herr driving in 110 runs for the National League champ Cardinals. And an interesting fact from his 1985 Topps card, in the offseason, he was selling insurance. After that season, it looks like he got a, a bit of a raise, where he went from a $325,000 salary to 550000 so probably could drop his second job. <laughs> no more moonlighting during the offseason for Bill. 1986, the Astros finally get over the hump. By this point, Doran is leading off hitting, not hitting in the 7th or 8th hole anymore, and he's still getting on base a lot. The Astros don't have a high-powered offense. They were scoring four runs a game, well below the league average. Aside from Glenn Davis and and Kevin Bass, the team didn't have much power. They had the sixth-fewest home runs in baseball. But for his part, Bill did his usual, hitting 276. His power was down a little bit, only six home runs, but he stole 42 bases. Caught 19 times again. (laughs) He was fifth in the National League in walks with 81 and fifth in steals as well. He finished 11th in MVP voting, just ahead of Eric Davis, who that season, if we'll recall, had 27 home runs and 80 steals. (laughs) I don't know what MVP voters were were thinking. Oh, my gosh. That said, it was a good season for Bill. He had made a name for himself by this point as one of the best second basemen in baseball. But he somehow still misses out on the All-Star game because Ryan Sandberg is there. Steve Sachs hit 330 that season. And so Bill still doesn't make an All-Star game, doesn't win a gold glove. But the Astros uh, had a really good season, depending on their pitching. Uh, Mike Scott, Nolan Ryan, Charlie Kerfeld. They allowed the fewest runs in baseball and win the National League West on a Mike Scott no-hitter in late September. They ended up winning their division by 10 games and Bill gets to play in the playoffs. That's right. In the playoffs, Doran has a big play in the third inning of game one. The Astros are up one nothing, and Rafael Santana leads off the inning. Yeah. And Clincher. Oh, great play by Billy Dolan. Oh, this is just a marvelous play by a marvelous player. This ball is scorched to- toward the gap. And watch Dorn. Oh, that's a full extension. Boy, that is a fine play by Dorn. You don't hear anything but superlatives about him from the opposition. Dorn makes a really good move to his right and uh, makes a, the catch across his body, makes a full extension diving catch, probably saves extra bases. The Astros won that game one nothing. Houston loses game two. Game three, Doran hits a home run off Ron Darling to go up four to nothing. Unfortunately, the Astros couldn't hold on and lose that game six to five. After a game four victory, the Astros lose games five and six in extra innings, two very exciting games. Bill drove in the Astros' only run in Game 5 and scored in the 16th inning of a Game 6 
comeback attempt that fell just short. So an exciting but sad end to a very good season for Bill and the Astros. Doran ends up playing every inning of the NLCS. He hit 222 in a losing effort. And that performance would earn Bill Doran a spot in RBI baseball, except for the fact that we forgot that Houston was in the game. So we'll get an update from Brian in the RBI baseball corner next week. In 1987, this is the last line on this card. We have some black ink that Bill played in 162 games. So he tied for the league lead in most games played. He hit 283, 31 steals, a career-high 16 home runs. This was the rabbit ball year. He also had 79 RBIs. His stats look better than his 85 season, but offense was up overall in the league. So this was, by comparison, not quite as, as good a season as his 85 season. But very good, again, earning the Astros Team MVP award. Unfortunately, it would be the last season of his really good run of seasons, the last time that he got MVP votes. And also, the Astros kind of fell off from their 86 form. They're around 500 most of the season, which was good enough to stay in striking distance of first place, but then fell off and finished in third by the end of the season. In 88, Bill had a down year at the plate by his standards, only hitting 248, but still a solid contributor to the team thanks to his great defense. He was sixth in the majors and wore among second basemen that year. And still, by comparison, almost every second baseman was down offensively that year. Even Sandberg and and other Hall of Famers had a down year. He missed some time in 88 at at the end of the season, suffered a torn rotator cuff that required surgery. Unfortunately, before the start of the 89 season, he had a knee issue that required another surgery. So two surgeries, and that led to a, a difficult time in 1989. But he was back on the field by opening day, Recovering from two surgeries, he played in 142 games, but he only hit 219, so down from the height of his powers. Yeah, but still playing 142 games is very, that's impressive after those two surgeries. In 1990, he's kind of back to his old self post-surgery, and through the end of August 1990, he's hitting 288 with a 405 on-base percentage and 18 steals, and David, he's finally coming back so well that he gets traded. <laughs> The Reds were making a run toward the playoffs. This is a trade deadline deal that sent Bill Doran back home to Cincinnati in exchange for Terry McGriff, Keith Kaiser, and Butch Henry. Those big names. McGriff had five plate appearances and never got a hit for the Astros. Kaiser would play one season in the Astros minor league system. Butch Henry had a pretty good major league career, but not for the Astros. He only pitched one season there. So not a lot of return for a guy who had been a stalwart of the Astros system and kind of the end of an era for the Astros. It allowed them to move Craig Biggio from catcher to second base in 1992. And Doran gets to go back home, go to a contender. Pretty good, right? Yeah, I mean, the fans are glad to have a hometown star come back. He ends up playing really well in 1990. He wins National League Player of the Week for the week of September 16th, so right after he joins the team. He hits 373 in 17 games, but unfortunately he hurts his back and ends up checking into the hospital for surgery on the day that the Reds clinch the division. So he misses the playoffs and the World Series because of that back surgery. He said he missed the whole thing. 
He didn't feel like he belonged. He felt like a rented player for the Reds that season. While he may have gotten a ring, he played an important role, certainly, in them getting to the playoffs. Unfortunately for for Bill, he wasn't there to enjoy the whole thing. So a sad end to one of Bill's better seasons. He finished with a career-best 300 average combined between Houston and Cincinnati and a 135 OPS+. He did that in only 126 games because of those injury issues. He spends the next two seasons in Cincinnati, but they didn't make it back to the playoffs in 91 or 92. 91 is his average decline to 280. His speed has dropped off by this point. In 1992, he's down into the 230s. And then before the 1993 season, the Brewers purchase his contract. And after 28 games, he ends up calling it quits due to injury. So... Closing the book on Bill Doran after 12 seasons in the majors, a 266 average, 1,366 hits, 84 home runs, 209 stolen bases, probably a similar number of caught stealing as well. He was caught stealing 93 times, so almost half as many times this year. <laughs> and a career fielding percentage, 983, so great in the field. How about in retirement, David? Bill and his wife, Lori, had three kids, two daughters and a son. His daughters both went to Miami of Ohio, where he said they raised the family GPA. His son, Ryan, like dad, was a multi-sport high school athlete and ended up playing briefly in the Reds minor league system. He also has seven grandchildren. So congratulations, Bill. He is still in the Reds system. He was with the Reds in various positions after he retired, minor league field coordinator, director of player development, special assistant to the GM. He became the Reds' first base coach for a little while and then spent 2005 to 2007 as the bench coach for the Royals before returning to the Reds, where he remains as a special assistant in player development. Sounds like a good job to have. So now looking back on it, Bill Doran, I, I will admit, is a player I had not heard of and hadn't thought of from this set. What do we think about him now that we've looked at him a little bit more? He's an Astros legend, but... Kind of like what we were talking about earlier, where even when he's having great seasons, he's just a step behind some of the other names. Even as far as the Astros go, they have a lot of good second basemen in their history. Joe Morgan, Craig Biggio, now Altuve, and Doran's a little bit below that level, but he was very good. And he was the best of those four on defense. All time, he's in a bunch of top 10 categories for the Astros including position player war, offensive war, hits, steals, runs scored, triples. He shows up a lot on a lot of those all-time lists for the Astros. He also stacks up well compared to other second basemen of his time, but is largely forgotten. Even in his own time, he was never an all-star or a gold glove winner. I found a 2009 Bleacher Report list of the 10 best second basemen since 1980. And of course, Bill Doran isn't on there. There's a a few Hall of Famers up top. We got Lou Whitaker. But then 7 through 10, we have guys like Brett Boone, Carlos Baerga, Chuck Knobloch, and Ray Durham. Doran stacks up pretty well against them as far as wins above replacement go. Of that list, he's second only to Chuck Knobloch in career defensive war. Offensively, he's ahead of Baerga and Boone, guys who put up pretty good numbers. But they played in a different time in the 90s in the, in the juiced era. He's behind Knobloch and Durham in offensive war, but he played 200 and 500 fewer games than them. His OPS plus is tied with Knobloch as the best of those five. And so overall, when we look at his career, he's 38th among 
second baseman all time in wins above replacement. Among 80 second basemen, he had three of the top 20 war seasons. And he had the fourth highest total of any 80 second baseman behind only Whitaker, Sandberg, and Willie Randolph. He's ahead of guys whose names show up a lot, like Bobby Gritch, Frank White, and Steve Sachs. He was just a scrappy player, and his stats look a little bit underwhelming, particularly when we compare him to 90 second basemen or, or some of those bigger Hall of Fame names. But adjusted for his time frame and for the park that he played in, he's surprisingly good. He's a very good on-base percentage hitter, a very good base runner, in spite of all those times he was caught stealing, and a really good fielder. And a key spark plug defensive stalwart for that 86 team that came pretty close to the World Series. And so for that, he's fondly remembered by Astros fans. And after digging in a bit more, I think highly of Bill Doran, one of the best second basemen in the 1988 top set. Same here. It's an impressive career, if not a glowing and earth-shattering one, but a solid player for a team that really needed him. So thank you, David, for that story. Good job, Bill. And thank you to you at home for listening. If you've ever been a safe haven in the time of cholera, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter at Tops1988. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week.